January 16th is a, a very significant day in my journey in walking with the Lord. It was about 30 years ago, January 16th, 1992. I was in sixth grade and I only had two more days left of being grounded. But you don't want to hear the story about that. So let's move on to, oh, you, you want to hear? Okay. So it was December 18th. I've got to back up a little bit. And I was in the Christmas production of Pinellas Park Wesleyan Church. They always had the youth group participate, and the first half of the show was very much like a just all the Christmas feels of contemporary music. Not all of it was hymns, and some of it was secular music. And then we got to the Jesus part in the second half. And the youth group participated by being elves, and they made the most atrocious elf costumes. Not like Buddy the Elf uh, with Will Ferrell, but these things were polyester, hot, flammable monstrosity. And the best part about it was they cut all these jagged angles on the costume's sleeves and on the pants, and on the end of it, they attached bells. I don't know who was in charge of this or who thought it would be a good idea to put 70 pre-teenagers and teenagers in costumes with bells on it. And the adults in between scenes would always say, shh, we can hear you. And all of us would look at our costumes going, you can hear us breathing. We're not even talking. But we loved, I forget what little shtick we did. We would go out and, and dance around as, as elves and stuff. And then for the second half, which, mind you, was the serious half of the, of the production, was, uh, was where we would go into the congregation and we would sit behind the soundboard and behind the associate pastor, behind the music director, and behind the youth pastor who was supposed to keep us in line. And we were doing multiple performances of this Christmas production. And uh, the two cool guys in the youth group, Jason Blinky and Thomas Newton, they, I forget how they got into a little bit of a scuffle, but like best friends do, they started fighting a little bit, probably over a girl. And at one point, Jason took one of the bells off of his costume and he threw it at Thomas. Well, like any other good, I think they were 14. They're a little bit older than me. Like any good best friend would do, Thomas pulled off a bell off of his costume and threw it at Jason, which went right by his head and hit me. So, I'm 12 years old. I am well trained in the ways of the Lord and walking the ancient paths. So, I just turned to him and I turned my other cheek and said, you have done me evil. And No, I'm just kidding. The first thing I did was rip three bells. I just took handfuls, two in this hand, one in this hand, pulled the bells off my costume and let them fly. And they went right by Jason, right past Thomas. And one bell hit the associate pastor, one bell hit my youth pastor, and the other bell hit the music director for my church. And in that moment, I knew I was in trouble, but also in the back of my head, I was thinking, wow, it takes talent three pastors in one throw, like maybe I'll get points for that. But the, our, our music director, who looked like a mix between Fabio and Yanni, he found one of the bells in his hair, instantly knowing where they came from, and turned around and yelled at all of the youth group, you are kicked out of the Christmas production. And what was really awkward was almost all the 2,000 people in the auditorium heard it, and I knew I was in trouble. 
and I had to take the walk of shame after the Christmas production was over, face my mom, face my stepdad, and hear those words, you are grounded. <laughs> and uh, But it wasn't me, it wasn't me. Uh, Jason and Thomas started it. Did you throw a bell? Yes, you are grounded. Oh no, how long, how long? 30 days, and it was December 18th. And there's human years, there's dog years, and there's teenage years. So 30 days, I mean, even during Christmas, it just seemed like an eternity. And during Christmas, a couple days later on the Christmas Day service, I can't remember exactly what day Christmas fell on, but the, the Christmas Sunday, my youth pastor gave me a Bible for Christmas. And in it, it had this scripture highlighted, Psalm 1. And I'll never forget the scripture. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers is how that psalm ends. So in this psalm, we, we see that there's two paths there. There's the, the popular way, the easy way, the, the, the path of the wicked, the path that gets you power and influence, gets you ahead quicker. And then there's the way of God. We've been talking about these ancient paths, these way that's, that's more costly, a way that, that is difficult, but it's also a way that leads to refreshment, rest, I love the images here of trees being planted with deep roots. I get the image of a redwood or a sequoia here. When you, when you walk the ancient paths, you, it's like being a, you're a tree that's planted by streams of water with deep roots that's strong and that can offer shade to people all around. Uh, that's the cry of my heart for you this year, Solid Ground Church, is that we would be streams, we would be trees planted by streams of water, not like tumbleweeds that blow down during the Santa Ana winds and, and are tossed this way and that way, even uh, with all that's happening in our culture, but also with your personal life. Like God's dream for you is that you would follow the path that he has laid out for us and that we would have deep roots so that God can bless us and that we can in turn bless others. But that doesn't come from living the same way everyone around us lives, walking in the same path our culture tells us to walk down. We have to train one another to walk this ancient path. And we need help. We all need help following Jesus down this ancient path. And I introduced this uh, the scripture to us uh, last week. If you if you missed it, you can go back and listen to it on YouTube or, or on uh, on uh, wherever you get podcasts. But Jeremiah says, "Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls." And today I want to introduce you to the world of Jeremiah, this prophet that lived at a time when his nation, Israel, was at a crossroads uh, between taking the path all the cultures around them were taking 
or to take the path that God had set about them. They had a choice to make. Would they take the easy way or the costly way? And Jeremiah is this interesting uh, guy that lived at this time. I love that he was called as a young man. In, in verse 1 and 10, you can read it for yourself, but God says, I've got a message for you. I've chosen you. I even knit you together in your mother's womb. And Jeremiah says, I'm too young for this. And God says, no, you're not. Obey me. I'll take care of you. Uh, and, and Jeremiah was born in this time where Israel was, was I mean, as a nation, as as most nations measure their metrics and their health and how well things are going, it was kind of at a time where things were going fairly well, especially for the southern kingdom. Because after the Israelites were led to the promised land, they had their ups and their downs, but uh, their their kingdoms had had, uh, fertile, their farms were doing well, their their shepherds were doing well. Uh, the David, King David comes on the scene and makes the capital, brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is, becomes this fortified city and gets very rich with Solomon. But as the years went on, Israel started straying away from their path. They had made a covenant with the living God that, that God would be their God and they would be God's people and they would be blessed so they could bless others. But they started doing things the way that other kingdoms around and other cultural, uh, cultural entities at the time started living. And they, they said, ah, you know, maybe not explicitly, but they started living in a way where they're like, we don't need God. And today, we're going to take a look at, at their culture, but also other cross-cultural moments that the people of God have faced in history. So uh, I think that looking back at this will give us clarity about the present. And uh, in Jeremiah's time, that's when he comes on the scene and, and like warning them, like we're worshiping other gods. We are not living how we're supposed to live. We're doing what everybody else has done. And even in their recent history, the nation of Israel had split into two kingdoms, one up into the north. God sent prophets to the northern kingdom of Israel saying, hey, get back on the path. I love you. I want to show you mercy. But all of this worshiping other gods, uh, all this injustice that you're committing, it needs to stop. And in 722 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel was completely wiped out by Assyria, wiped off the mat. People were scattered. Um, and, And the southern kingdom still remained. And you would think that they would say, whoa, this happened to our other tribes. There's only two tribes left in the south. Maybe we should re-examine the way we're living. But the general thinking at the time, if you read Jeremiah 1 through 6, the general thinking was, oh, we have the Temple Mount. This is the site where Abraham offered his son Isaac. I mean, this is massive. We have that on our side. We have the temple. God's presence lives with us. We have David's fortress. I mean, if you went to a synagogue or uh, uh, the temple and heard a sermon, you would hear, hey, we're blessed. Uh, Everything's good. Uh, We're going to be fine. We've got strong walls to protect us. But they weren't listening to God. They had made themselves. They They had chosen for themselves the path of the wicked, doing everything like the cultures around them. In Jeremiah 5, Verse 11 through 13 says, The people of Israel 
And the people of Judah have been utterly unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. They have lied about the Lord. They said, he will do nothing. No harm will come to us. We will never see sword or famine. The prophets are but wind, and the word is not in them. So let what they say be done to them. These people, they thought they would be blessed. But in reality, they were on the verge of incurring God's wrath. They were this close, headed towards destruction, but with blinders on. Jeremiah 5.31 it says, The prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority, and the people love it this way. But what will you do in the end? The people were loving it. What a chilling verse. The people were loving what they were hearing because it was feeding them what they wanted to hear. Everything's going to be fine. We can forget God and just take the easy road. And scripture uses colorful language to describe their hearts. It it says in every high place and under every tree, they placed idols to other gods. These people were resolute and unrepentant in, in spite of the fact that God kept trying to lovingly, lovingly say, come back to my path, come back this way. They wouldn't. They were defiant and they were unchanged by God's correction. And on top of that, they no longer were caring for the widows and orphans. And this is, this is the people God sent Jeremiah to. And he, he even said, to whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed and they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them and they find no pleasure in it. Uh, From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So Jeremiah is sent to these folks. And, 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 and God tells him, like, okay, you've got this work to do. In, uh, in Jeremiah 1.10, See today I appoint you, Jeremiah, over kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So this is some heavy stuff. But stick with me here, because I think what God was telling Jeremiah to tell the nation of Israel has very practical uh, implications for us, and there's good news in here for us. So stick with me. Uh, God had just told Jeremiah that his work would would be twofold. He was to uproot and to tear down, but he was also to build and to plant. This kind of work, there's critical tasks here to uproot and plant, but there's also creative tasks to build, uh, to build, to rebuild. It reminds me of John 15, when Jesus is saying, I'm the vine and you're the branches, stay connected to me. There's the image of pruning here, the images of gardening here. And to fast forward to our lives and, and our journey and our personal growth. Sometimes there's, there's, there's attitudes in our life, habits in our life, mindsets that we have that need to be pruned away. We all need a little pruning every now and then. And it's, nothing, it's something that we don't graduate from. But if, if on our journey, 
we have pastors and friends as we're running, if, if we only hear critical things, if there's only the, the uprooting and tearing down in our lives, we'll, we'll feel browbeaten. But if we're never sharpened, if we're never critical, we'll just keep going on autopilot, cruise control, right down the path to ruin. So when God does with us, when he, when he points out things that need to change, things we need to turn over, uh, control of, the only appropriate response is repentance. To avoid repentance, meaning turning from the path we were on and going towards, turning our heart towards God's path. If we reject that and we avoid that, it's like we're rejecting God. I, I love the creative tasks Jeremiah was given to plant uh, it's, it's all these new rhythms like that need to be introduced as we turn away from, from our, the wicked path. Uh, that part is crucial for discipleship. I really do think of it like gardening. When you start a garden, there's weeds and rocks that need to be thrown out, but there's also seeds that need to be planted and water that needs to be planted. But if, if we're only after the messages that we hear that water us, and, and plant seeds in us and avoid the weeding part, uh, we only get half of the equation. We need both the critical messages in our life and the creative messages in our life as individuals, but also as a church community. And that's what Jeremiah attempted to do. That's what he was tasked with doing with Israel. He was saying, hey guys, we're headed the wrong way, quite literally, let's turn around. And Israel just said, no thanks. We're good, man. And here we are again. Jeremiah saying, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for where the ancient paths are. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. That's both critical and creative. We gotta stop living like everybody else. And even though it seems as we look around, it might seem like it's, uh, it's working. People who cut corners at work, people who, who uh, don't forgive their enemies, people who walk around with kind of a righteous rage. Like, no, that's the way the world works. Jesus calls us to a different way. And the creative part in Jeremiah's exhortation to Israel was for us to sit down, to stop first, take a deep breath, and ask God to show us the right way to go. There are other moments in history where God's people made the same choice as, as the, the nation of Israel and the southern nation of Israel did in Jeremiah's day. As we see, we celebrate every Easter on Palm Sunday as people are laying down their, their garments in front of Jesus' donkey and shouting, Hosanna. We get this sense of Jesus being conflicted because he, he knows that these people, they're, they're ready for the Messiah so that they can kick Rome out so that they can once again become a nation of power and influence and, and, and wealth again. And Jesus is saying, that's not the way that I've been training you to go. That's not the path of God, that God's gonna take care of you. But the way you guys are trying to accomplish it, knowing that in a couple of days, these are the same people that will say, give us the insurrectionist Barabbas, crucify Jesus. I just get the image of Jesus weeping as he rides saying, I want you to follow me, not the way the world is doing it. Uh, listen to my teachings. Uh, people were misguided 
about their expectation of Jesus, lusting after power and cultural significance. Also, just a few hundred years later, uh, the, the church, the, the followers of Jesus, found themselves at a crossroads moment after 300 years of systematic persecution. I can't imagine uh, being a Christian in the early days, uh, especially under the, the Diocletian uh, emperor that would hunt, like made it so that if you were a Christian and you're gathering with other believers, you didn't know if your neighbor was going to sell you out. And for hundreds of years, these people chose the way of Jesus instead of worshiping the emperor. And all they had to rely on was, was God. <laughs> there was no help from popular culture. They had to rely on the Holy Spirit to grow the church. And in this time, the church rigorously trained believers to walk the ancient path. The, the fancy ancient word for it is catechesis. And to become a true believer, uh, follower of Jesus, you were trained for two, sometimes three years. And in the midst of this really high bar the church had for accepting people into, into the, the family of God, the church continued to grow, even, even though they had literally had skin in the game. There was the threat of death, but the church kept spreading like wildfire. wildfire. And they would take the time to train these former pagans out of their, their former habits and former allegiances. And in spite of all of the obstacles, the church just grew like crazy until the year 312, when the Emperor Constantine, he claimed to have this vision of a cross and claimed to, to hear this, this, uh, this voice of God saying, in this sign, you shall conquer. And so he was a new, as a new convert to Christianity, he was like, oh, okay, let's, let's pivot. And his mom was a well-known Christian at the time. And he sent for a bunch of pastors and bishops. And they came and started to, to tell him about this, this process of following Jesus and, and changing the way of the path that you're on and taking up your cross and following Jesus. But Constantine sent those bishops away. And bucking tradition and, and, and spiritual authority, he said, I'll have a new catechesis. And so he started whining and dining all the bishops and, and the pastors in the area. And, and uh, they became enamored with, and, and I totally get this. After hundreds of years of persecution, they're saying, ah, the, the, the wind is changing direction. Like we can, we're actually, we have the emperor of the whole empire is showing us favor. And he started building fancy temples for Christians to come and worship in. And, and started the, the process of making Christianity the official religion of Rome. All of those had to be such a, such a burden lifted. I can't imagine the, the seeds of hope being planted. But Constantine rejected the ancient path. And the church had a choice. They had a choice to make. They stood at this crossroads. They could have influence and power and comfort. And all they had to do was lower the standards. Just don't make a fuss of this new catechesis. Just let the emperor do his thing. And I can't help but wonder that the church in, in this time period, they might have gained the world, but what else did they lose? 
Every time the church or the people of God chooses this easy way, this popular path over the costly way, it results in disaster. The way of the crown is what they chose over the way of the cross. And every time we do this, it ends in ruin. Just like in Jeremiah's time, the people of the southern king of Judah, they clung to power and cultural significance. And in 587 BC, Babylon came in and swooped in and wiped them off the map. Their temple was destroyed. Their walls of the city of Jerusalem were destroyed and the people were taken away from the land. The first century Jews in Jesus' day, they wanted to kick Rome out with power and force. But in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. They had rejected the ancient path. And then again, that fourth century church leadership, they gained the world, but they reintroduced a lust for power and cultural significance, a lust that still affects Christians today. And many of us, and I get it, a lot of us, I see it with my own eyes, we perceive Christianity's loss of influence. But I want you to ponder that maybe this dynamic might be overly grieved because it may be God's gift to us. I'm not happy about being pushed aside. I'm not happy about losing our our cultural significance. But what if we're being liberated from the chains of the popular path? What if God is positioning us to have a renewed vigor for following the way of Jesus and making Jesus and nothing else the Lord of our life? Will it be more costly? Absolutely. I don't say those things likely. It's likely so, but it will be infinitely more valuable for us and we can't lose sight of that. Let's rediscover the new way of living that Jesus calls us to, this countercultural, loving way of Jesus that he calls us to, this way of choosing the small and quiet over the big and loud, this way that chooses truth and beauty, everything that's good and pure and true and right over likes and subscriptions and so many things that the world says, oh, that makes you significant. What if we were to rediscover the way of Jesus and repent from the ways that we've been on and choose rest over a righteous rage? Let's say yes to carrying the cross instead of limping on as a cultural Christian. Because there's a mystery to all of this. Because there is a weight when it comes to, okay, now we really, now skin is in the game for us. We really have to, to count on God. We can't count on throwing our weight around in the, the cultural conversations. And Christianity feels like it's being pushed to the side. And with all the weight that comes with that, we have the, the words of Jesus. Come to me, all of you who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's our call. We, we need to embrace at a personal level. Let's bring this down from the big level to, to just you and me in our everyday life. Are we embracing God's critical and creative work in our lives? Are we rejecting the popular path that tells us 
we're people of worth and value based on what we have, what people say about us, and what we can accomplish. Maybe you and I need to unlearn some bad habits and to submit to God's authority in our lives. Is it costly? Yes! But my friends, it's the path to life. So question for you to ask yourself this week. Maybe journal about it and pray about it. What critical work do you sense the Holy Spirit wanting to do in you? Is it an attitude? Is it a mindset? Is it just turning fear and anxiety over to God? What ways are you embracing the popular path? I'm asking these questions of myself too, and I invite you to do the same. Is there anything in your life you need to renounce? Any ways that you're being shaped by the ways of this world or our culture rather than Jesus Christ? And what creative work do you sense? What, what good news are you kind of saying when, when you think about, like, for example, just a, a negative self-talk that you're doing and, and there's a little thing in you that says, whoa, wait, I'm made in God's image. Wait, God loves me. God redeems. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm horrible. I'm horrible. Like, what creative work do you sense the Holy Spirit doing in you that you may be ignoring? Maybe God needs to become the loudest voice in your head and we need to start listening to that instead of all the negative things that we rehearse about ourselves. And what's something new God wants to do in you? Will we have the courage? Will you have the courage to stop, to breathe and listen, to be pliable, teachable, and humble? With Jeremiah and the people of Judah, they didn't listen. The, the famous author, Henry Cloud, says, there's three kinds of people in this world. They're wise people, there's foolish people, and there are evil people. He says, with wise people, talking helps. <laughs> they listen, you point out a blind spot, and they say, oh, thanks for pointing that out, and they do something about it. And his, his definition of foolish people is that talking doesn't help. These are the kinds of people that turn, their, turn the things back on you and start arguing. And with those people, you need to have boundaries and set up consequences. I have a feeling something brought you here <laughs> and it's that you're listening to God's voice in your life and you're open, at least open to being a wise person. When, when God says, hey, I want, I want to take that burden from you. Oh, you don't have to carry that around. Oh, ooh, ooh, you're, you're off on that mindset. Let's, let's come back over here. This is the path I have for you. I believe that this week we'll start making wise choices. And so... Uh, as you ponder that this week. Um, I, I want to leave you with that, but also just pray. Pray that God will reveal to you um, the, the creative and critical work that needs to happen for you to take your next step in your journey with Jesus. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, examine our hearts in this moment. God, what are you, what are you putting your finger on? God, we... We once again give our whole selves to you and commit ourselves to you and ask that as you prune, you would also heal. As you, as you uh, water, that you would give us hope that you are at work in our lives, but also that you still have this whole world in your hands. Uh, we give up fear, anxiety, and worry in Jesus' name in this moment. And would you please show us the right way that leads to rest.
So we, once again, turn control of our lives over to you and ask that you would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path as we walk with you. In the mighty and strong and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, until we're together again, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and turn his face towards you. And may the Lord give you his peace. God bless you and we'll see you real soon.